Hello and Merry Christmas. My name is Anthony Trask and I am the pastor of Fellowship Church based in Salem, Oregon. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out and a huge Merry Christmas today for everyone online, everyone uh, meeting in other locations, especially uh, this Christmas season, Fellowship Church Oklahoma in Moore. Um, man, uh, my wife and Ryan and I had such an amazing time with you uh, just a couple of Sundays ago, and we are already scheduling some of our pastors to come out and continuing to help you build your congregation, build a leadership team, build a church there, and we are stoked for that. And if you're joining us from anywhere else, I want to give a special hello to people in Arizona, Washington State, Montana, the Philippines, Mexico, California, wherever you're joining us from today, we are so glad you cho chose to join us for Christmas. Um, Going to give a Christmas message today, and I, I got a question for you um, before I get into kind of the meat of the message. And the question is, what do you think about when you think about Christmas? So think about that for a minute. What do you think about when you think about Christmas? When I think about Christmas, I think about France. So the question then becomes, when you think about France, what do you think about? When I think about France, I think about uh, Beauty and the Beast and Be Our Guest. And it may seem like France and Christmas and Beauty and the Beast have nothing to do with one another, although there was a Beauty and the Beast Christmas special. Um, here's how this correlates in my mind. Uh, I want to tell you a story. In the year... 1642, there was an organ built, an organ, a musical organ. In 1642, an organ was built for the Catholic Church in Rochemont, France. And this particular organ that was built um, was held in the church that was called the Collegiate Church of St. John Baptiste and St. John Evangeliste. Excuse my French. Uh, I'm having a horrible time pronouncing these things, but follow the story. Rochemnar, France, the church of St. John the Baptist and St. John the Evangelist, an organ was built in 1642. However, during the French Revolution in the late 1700s, the organ was burned down during rioting. And so we've got this church in Rochemore, France. We've got the organ, which was built in 1642, now destroyed and burned down during the French Revolution. Meanwhile, during the same time period, uh, a church in a town nine miles away, the church was called the Cathedral of Avignon. And Avignon was a town nine miles from Rochemore, France, and this particular church in Avignon, they had to abandon the church completely due to the French Revolution. And the church stood in utter disarray for over 40 years because rioting and the revolution destroyed the church. And so here is this church left abandoned, but there was an organ inside of that church. And the organ inside of that church was built in the year 1690. So if you're following, this is a story of two towns, Avignon and Rochemore. 
This is a story of two organs, uh, one built in 1642, the other one built in 1690. The first burned down, the second left abandoned, both churches in disarray due to the French Revolution. So now, going back to that original church in Rocamore, France, they are left without an organ. Their church is still functioning, their town is still functioning, but they don't have an organ. And so what would they do? Well, they, they purchased the organ from Avignon in the year 1820. So in 1820, an organ is purchased from Avignon to bring nine miles away to Rocamore, France, sold in a national goods sale. This brings us now to the year 1843. A good 23 years after the organ was transported from Avignon to Rocamore, uh, 23 years has passed. And in 1843, renovations had been completed on the organ. And so we're pushing November or December. The organ had been renovated. Um, I couldn't actually find if it had been renovated before because it's been there for 23 years. But either way, history records in an 1843, the organ has been restored. And so the priest of the cathedral in Rocamore wants to celebrate the restoration of the organ because there can be music again inside of the church. So the priest of the cathedral in Rocamore to commemorate the renovation of this 153-year-old organ requested someone to write a poem to honor the celebration of the restoration of the organ. And so who do you call when you need a poem to be written? Now, keep in mind, when the poem was written, it was Christmas time, and so he didn't just want any poem. He wanted a Christmas poem to be written about the organ in Rocamore, France, which had completed its renovation in 1843. So he contacts a local, one-handed, wine-selling, atheist poet who hated the Catholic Church. Who else do you want to have write a Christmas poem for your church, right? You contact the one-handed. Why did he have one hand? Well, his right hand was shot off accidentally by his best friend as a child. He's a wine seller, not one who stores wine, but he sells wine, a merchant. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He loathes the Catholic Church, and this one-handed local atheist poet's name was Placide Capo. So Placide Capo, he decides, yes, I will write this poem about Christmas for this church. Even though I hate the church, even though I'm an atheist, I'll write a poem about the birth of Christ. He accepts the challenge. And he writes the entire poem on a stagecoach trip to Paris that December. And in French, the poem he writes is called Minuet Christians. And in English, that translates to Midnight Christians. And that has such a gothic feel to it, doesn't it? Midnight Christians is the poem I'm going to write to commemorate Christmas and to commemorate the renovation of this beautiful organ. And so, Minway Christians gets back to the priest in Rocamore. And he decides that this poem needs a tune to it. It needs music composed so that way this poem could turn into a song. And so 
what the priest had, Placide Kepo, do is take the poem to his friend Adolphe Adams. Who was Adolphe Adams? Well, Adolphe Adams was a famous Jewish composer of ballet and of opera. And so Adolphe Adams, the Jewish famous composer, agrees to take Minway Christian's Midnight Christians and turn it into a song. So now we have a famous Jewish composer who is going to write a song based on a poem that an atheist who hated the church wrote. And so that very same year, we don't know how long it took, but it all happened very quickly. Adolphe does just that. He writes the carol. He turns the poem into a carol, and he calls the carol, he calls this Christmas song, Cantique de Noël. Cantique de Noël, uh, which translated into English is just simply Christmas carol. So remember, the poem was called Midnight Christians, but now it's called Christmas carol. Much more pleasant. And so the poem is written, the music is composed, and for some reason, history does not record what happens to that song for four years. The song sits on the shelf for four years. And four years later, this song written by a one-handed atheist poet and composed by a Jewish composer of ballets and operas, it needs to be premiered to the public. And so, in the year 1847, four years after the song was composed and the poem was written, the church decided to have a concert to debut this beautiful song, Midnight Christians, the Christmas Carol. And so they call for an audience to come to the church in Rocamore, the church of St. John the Baptist and St. John the Evangelist. And who will they have sing this song? Well, the song Cantique de Noel, they contacted famous opera singer, Emily Laurie, um, a contemporary opera singer. She would be the one to sing this song at the church in the year 1847, and this takes us back to the organ. Not only was this poem written for the organ, which had been transported to a church due to the previous organ being burned down in rioting in the French Revolution. The poem is written about the restoration of this organ. A song is written about the restoration of this organ. And now it's going to be sung in the church where the organ sits. And guess what musical instrument will accompany the song? Cantique de Noel, but the organ. So the organ is played. The song is sung and the poem is put to music, heard by an audience for the first time. And I wanted to read to you this poem in French, transliterated literally into English. And I'm not going to try to read it in French because I've already butchered some of the French words so far. But listen to the lyrics of this song. Midnight Christians, it's the solemn hour. When God is man descended unto us to erase the stain of original sin 
and to end the wrath of his father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night that gives it a savior. People kneel down, await your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. May the ardent light of our faith guide us all to the cradle of the infant as in ancient times a brilliant star guided the oriental kings there. The king of kings was born in a humble manger. O mighty ones of today, proud of your greatness. It is to your pride that God preaches Bow your heads before the Redeemer. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. The Redeemer has broken every bond. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those whom iron had changed. Who will tell him of our gratitude? For all of us he is born. He suffers and dies. People, stand up, sing of your deliverance, Christmas, Christmas, sing of the Redeemer, Christmas, Christmas, sing of the Redeemer. A a quite surprisingly theologically accurate poem written by the one-handed wine merchant, atheist poet, who hates the church, composed into music by a Jewish composer of secular ballets and operas, sung by a famous local opera singer while this ancient organ is being played inside of this church on this beautiful Christmas season where people hear this song for the first time. And even though the poem, it is beautiful, it's kind of dark. Very gothic in its theme, Midnight Christians. And as the composer looks, he says, let's change it to something a little bit more soft. How about uh, Christmas Carol? And so this Christmas Carol was a big hit. So much so that the Catholic Church in the regions of France began to sing begin to sing Christmas carol as part of their liturgy in their church services all throughout France. But word got back to Rome. Word got back to Catholic officials and leaders that this beloved carol that churches across Europe were beginning to sing at Christmas time, they found out it was written by a one-handed atheist who despised their very church. And they found out it was a Jewish composer of secular operas and ballets that put it to music. And so they banned this heathenistic song from being sung in the liturgy of their church because this must be blasphemy as it's not written by the typical church song composers. But a Christmas carol this good can't be held down. A Christmas carol this popular cannot be stopped. And so this song spreads outside of the walls of the Catholic Church. And it enters into the ears of people across the globe in the New World. So in the 1800s, 
Christmas carol, Midnight Christians, it's now being sung not just in Europe, it's being sung in the United States of America. And though the church has banned the song, the song is very much being sung because it's a message of a Savior coming in the hour of midnight is connecting with people across the globe. This takes us to the 1850s in Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States of America. There's a Harvard-educated, ordained Unitarian minister, America's first music critic, and a famous music critic at that, who was also a transcendentalist. This man's name was John Sullivan Dwight. Much easier to pronounce than some of the French names. So 1850s, John Sullivan Wright, the famous music critic, hears the song Cantique Noel. And he decides that with this song, he's going to do something about it. And because he's a music critic, he's going to change this song to make it better. Now, what's interesting about this, you may have heard, oh, well, the man was an ordained minister, so he would have a great understanding of the gospel. And even though the song was written by people who were very much likely not followers of Jesus, he's going to make it right, right? But Unitarianism today would be seen as essentially a Christian cult. Unitarianism, the reason they called themselves that is because they did not believe that God has forever existed and will forever exist co-equally and co-eternally as God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. They were essentially what we would call today a, a oneness group who did not embrace the truth of Scripture about the triunity of the Godhead. And he was involved in strange mystical thinking as well. He wasn't just a Unitarian minister. As I said before, I used this strange word. He was a transcendentalist. And a transcendentalist was essentially, transcendentalism was a reaction to modern, rational, intellectual movements of the day. And so transcendentalists embraced the mystical they, they tried to find deeper meaning in things and events that transcended what we could plainly see in our own realm. And so it really went into the fascination of the supernatural that existed in spiritualism in the 1800s in America. So this brings us to 1855. In 1855, this Unitarian transcendentalist music critic took the lyrics of the Christmas carol written by the one-handed atheist who hated the church, composed by a Jewish composer, sung by a secular opera singer, played on a 1690 organ, moved due to the riots caused by political upheaval and revolution that resulted in the execution of a king the very organ that the song was written for, and changed the lyrics when he translated them to English to accommodate his own worldview, specifically the worldview of transcendentalism, that things are much more mysterious and mystic, uh, mystical than what we often think. 
And so Dwight's new version of the song, Cantique de Noel, quickly became the more popular version. And we've been singing this song for over 165 years at Christmas time. So at first it's Minway, Christans, Midnight Christians. Then it's Cantique, Noel, the Christmas Carol. And here, this transcendentalist minister says, I'm, I'm going to change it. And his version becomes the hit all across the globe. And the song that came from France into the ears of America goes back to France. In fact, there's a legend. A legend that during Christmas Eve of 1870, during the Franco-Prussian War, that during a break in the battle, the French troops started singing this carol from their trenches, singing specifically the American version. And when the Germans on the other side that they were battling against in their trenches, when they heard the French singing Cantique de Noël, the Christmas carol, the new English version, they started singing hymns themselves written by their great theologian, Martin Luther. And so we have French, and then we have the Germans, enemies, singing gospel-focused Christmas songs on Christmas Eve in the year 1870 during a war. And legend records that this results in a 24-hour truce where they celebrated Christmas together. Whether the legend is factual or historical, historians have debated about that for years. But the story and the legend remains. And as a result, it was during this time in history during the Franco-Prussian War that the song became popular all over again in France. And when it got back to the church this time, after it had been tweaked and changed by the Unitarian transcendentalist music critic in America, the Catholic Church says, we can sing it again. And so they put it back into the liturgy of the Catholic Church. It's quite a story. And if you haven't caught on by now, this is a story of a song that we all know. Again, Midnight Christians, Christmas Carol. Today, we know this song because John Sullivan Dwight rewrote it in 1855 and gave it the title, O Holy Night. This is a song 160 plus years in the making. From the time that the organ was built in 1690 to the time the organ was commemorated with a poem, put to music, sung in the church while the organ played, transported to America, changed into English to hold a different person's worldview and then shipped back to Europe all over again. And so this song, which is written by people who just looking at what they believed in by all intents and purposes were at least not living or espousing a Christian worldview or belief. This unlikely song written by a ragtag group was used by God 
they were used by him to write this song. A song about the hope that the world has in Jesus. That even during the dark times of the French Revolution that they had been through and were going through, that they could still have hope. And that's exactly what the song is about. And so even though this song's writers, they, they probably didn't truly know Christ, they wrote a song about hope that could only be realized in Christ. Shows us how God can take anything. How God can use anyone for his purposes. This, this shows us that how even in the darkest times, like the French Revolution, like the times that followed, like the Franco-Prussian War, that there can actually be hope that even at midnight, like the song says, the original version of the song, Midnight Christians, even at midnight, even during the solemn hour, God as man descended unto us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of his Father. This reminds us that in the darkest of night, that a Savior came, and that we're still expecting now in the dark nights we walk through a Savior to return. It reminds us that in the darkest night, the entire world can thrill with hope because of the coming and the awaiting of this Savior. So this song's peculiar origins, they reflect the peculiar origins of the night it remembers in its lyrics. In this ragtag group of unlikely characters writing this theologically sound anthem of Christmas, it's all just so peculiar. Writing of a peculiar night written by peculiar people. And this song, when we read through the lyrics and you look at the scriptures that these authors referenced as they wrote these words, even though they didn't have this full understanding of scripture as the Holy Spirit can, can reveal to us now as we open up God's word, this song brings even more hope. And we'll wrap up today with, with looking at the American 1855 English version of this song. And we know the song starts like this. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And that was the night that they reflected on, the night in Bethlehem where Joseph and the virgin mother who he was betrothed to were going and found no room in the inn. And it was time for Mary to give birth to a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. What is that talking about? Long lay the world in sin. Well, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The free gift being Jesus, which erases the penalty of the wages of sin, which is death when one puts faith in Jesus because we are all sinners and that is the world that Jesus came into. And the lyrics of the song say, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. 
So Jesus appeared and all of a sudden we see how much we're worth. Well, what does that mean? 1 Peter 1 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The song says that Jesus appeared and the soul felt its worth. Your soul is worth the blood of God the Son, Jesus Christ, because he ransomed us from our sins with the price of his blood. And that's how much we're worth, friends. You may be feeling worthless this holiday season. You might be going through a difficult time, but you are worth the blood of Jesus. So feel your worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And that's what we've entitled this message today, A Thrill of Hope. When Jesus appeared, it was a thrill of hope that the weary world would rejoice. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so rejoice in your weariness because Jesus comes to give you rest for your soul. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. There is this thrill of hope that we have in the coming of Jesus and the salvation that exists for us in Jesus and for the life in eternity that we have the opportunity to live by faith with Jesus. So a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We don't know the time of the evening in which Jesus was born, but we know it was during the darkness of night. And in 1 Peter 1.3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so yonder breaks this new and glorious morn, the new and glorious morn being a resurrection, a new hope, a new life that we possess in Christ. And the song says, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night. Oh, holy night. Oh, night divine. Led by the light of faith, serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by Jesus' cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here comes the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, and all our trials born to be our friend. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, who though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, when you look at the lyrics, this idea that 
that Jesus was willing to lay down. He was the king of kings, but here he humbles himself. He was willing to take on the form of a servant. John 15, 15, when it says that Jesus was born to be our friend in this song, look at John 15, 15. Jesus himself says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my father, I made known to you. And you may feel alone, especially during Christmas of 2020, but even in the midst of being alone, know that Jesus was willing to lay down the status as king as kings momentarily to take on the humility of a servant, and then he is able to call you friend, and so he is with you. Wrapping up the song, the lyrics say, He knows our need. To our weakness, he's no stranger. Behold your king before him, lowly bend. Hebrews 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. You may be feeling weak right now. You may be feeling tempted right now. You may be struggling right now. But Jesus knows our needs. In your weakness, he's no stranger. He became weak in his suffering and his death on the cross so that we could find and pick up strength and hope in him. And even though he faced the same temptations you're facing, he always provides us a way out of the temptations we faced. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. His law is love, his gospel is peace. John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that if you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This, this gospel, this good news of Jesus is built on the hope of love. Love that Jesus showed for us as he laid down his life on the cross. And so this is the gospel of peace. This is our call as followers of Jesus. This is the midnight Christian rally to, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. In a year of, of uh, racial calamity and um, looking at how our nation deals with, with a past of, of evil, sinful slavery. We find solace from God's word and we find solace from even the lyrics of this song. The slave is our brother. We're brothers and sisters. We're one in Christ. Luke 4 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and to set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus wants to free whatever you are enslaved to right now. He wants to free you from it. Whether it's literal slavery, whether it's slavery to sin or, or slavery to addiction, whatever it is, Jesus come to set the captives free. Galatians 3.28 
Paul says, there isn't Jew or Greek, slave or free. There's not male or female, for we are all one in Christ. And in the year 2020 at Christmas time, we need to stop dividing ourselves up into political parties and skin colors and languages and socioeconomic groups. Instead, we need to see that in Christ, we are one. That the things that we try to divide ourselves with and the things that we try to separate ourselves with and look at each other as different as a result of, we need to drop those things as followers of Jesus because we are one people in Christ. It says, in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. In his name, all oppression shall cease because he wants to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The final lyric we'll look at today is the refrain, Christ is the Lord. Then ever, ever praise we. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Christ is the Lord. Ever, ever we praise him. His power and glory evermore proclaim. And here Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 that we who have been transformed in the midnight hour by the light of Christ, we are to proclaim the excellencies, the glory of God, the one who called us out of dark into the light. So in conclusion today, this song, which comes out of such a uh, crazy time in the history of France, written by such a strange assortment of characters, the one-handed atheist poet, the Jewish famous composer, the American music critic. This song, which tells of such a crazy time in the history of Roman occupied Israel, which stars its own strange assortment of characters, uh, evil governors, regional kings, evil emperors, a pregnant teenage virgin girl, and the faithful man that she was betrothed to, shepherds, wise men, a course of angels, and oh yeah, even, even the king of kings, even God the Son. Jesus Christ in human baby form. So the song written during a crazy time by a crazy assortment of characters about a crazy time with its own crazy assortment of characters, it can bring us so much hope in the crazy 2020 world that we live in today. That the darkest of nights can at the same time be the holiest of nights. Think about that for a minute. This may seem like the darkest of nights, but it was too in Bethlehem 
The darkest of nights can also simultaneously be the holiest of nights where Christ is revealed. Where Christ is revealing himself working. Where Christ is making all things new. This crazy song about a crazy time of crazy people written by a crazy ragtag group of people. It can remind us that God can use the strangest craziest assortment of characters in our world today and use them to bring about his purposes and regardless of where you stand on any political spectrum man we've got a crazy assortment of characters today but this kind of song about crazy assortments of characters written by a crazy assortment of characters can bring us much hope that god can use anybody and anything to bring about his purpose. This song um, reminds us that if God can bring hope in the darkest of nights, then he can do it today. This song reminds us that we ought to not lose hope because we can actually thrill and rejoice in hope. Because the hope we have is that in Christ, the weary, the weary world will rest and can rejoice. We can thrill in hope because in Christ, the dark is made light. We can thrill in hope because in Christ, the sinner is forgiven and the dead will rise. So as the song boldly proclaims, behold your king. Would you do that this Christmas church? Behold your king. Behold the king of kings. Behold Jesus. Fall on your knees before him. Worship him. Praise his holy name. Right now where you are can be holy. This time that you're in can be divine. So could you, wherever you're at right now, close your eyes? Not asking you to close your eyes because this is some sort of religious obligation or duty, but close your eyes because we're very visually driven creatures. And if we can close our eyes, we can focus and hone in on what it is God is trying to say to us. And after you listen to this message today, it's not my goal that you remember anything that I have to say, but you would remember what God's speaking to you through the things that I said, and especially through his word. Right now can be holy. Right now can be holy. Where you are can be holy. Where God is, is holy. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, God's already with you right now, friend. You don't need to invite him into your midst because he's right there. But would you invite him into your world? Would you invite him into your thinking? Would you invite him into your heart? Would you invite him to make even the space that you're in right now holy, set apart, sacred for him? Right now, the time that you're in can be divine. Remember the song says, Oh, holy night, oh, night divine. Even the night you're in, the time you're in, the space you're in, the 2020 year that you're in, even it can be divine because God 
is working in the darkness. God is bringing light into the darkness. God is giving hope in the darkness. God can give peace in the darkness. Wherever you are, he's there beside you as your friend. But invite him into your heart and your life to make an impact and a change. So we can sing, enjoy this Christmas season. As you go about listening to this song, Oh Holy Night, in your car, as you gather around your neighborhoods and your towns and sing this song and hear this song, remember the story of this song. And as you remember it, remember how God can use the situation you're in right now and bring about great things that people may be telling stories about 100 years, 200 years, 300 years from now. Just like we told a story of this weird song, Oh Holy Night. So God, I I thank you for the reality that you used this strange assortment of people during a strange moment in time, um, using strange things like organs, churches, priests, revolutions, wars, to bring about from those things this beautiful song, Oh Holy Night. Thank you that this song points us to Scripture. That every piece of this song points to passages of Scripture that we could read for days. That you used um, theologically uneducated men to write. Thank you for what this reminds us of. So God, right now, if there's people who are struggling, feeling alone, feeling in the dark, feeling hopeless, would you give them a thrill of hope again? Would you remind them what light is like again? Would you remind them that they're not alone, that you are always with them, that you'll never leave them, you'll never reject them? Surround each person with community that they can interact with, the body of Christ gathering together so that we can celebrate this fact together that we're not alone. Lord, if there's someone today who does not know you, would you draw them close to you? Would you convict them of any darkness or sin in their own life? Would you show them their need for a Savior? And would you give them faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life for them, who died a death on the cross that that they, that I deserve to die, and who rose again, defeating Satan, sin, hell, and death. God, would you give them faith to trust in your grace, to save them from themselves and set them apart for relationship with you. In church, wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, God wants relationship with you. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it forgives you of sins. It restores relationship with God. It gives you the presence of his Holy Spirit dwelling within you, changing you, challenging you, encouraging you, and grants to you everlasting life. And that is a gift, just like at Christmas we celebrate gifts. That's a gift. It's a gift of grace 
And just like a gift, you must receive gifts in faith. You must trust that they are real. You must trust that they are for you and receive them and open them and live in them. And that's what God's gift for you is in Christ. Though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so would you put your trust in Jesus? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Jesus says of himself, God so loved the world, he gave, there's that gift, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So would you believe in Jesus today? Would you trust in him? Would you confess he is Lord? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? It's the greatest holy night or day you could experience is new relationship with Christ. And for you midnight Christians, those who have salvation in Christ, but you feel like you're walking in midnight. The same dark midnight that we're all in, it's also the holiest of nights. It's also a night that is divine. So follow the leading of the Spirit. Trust in Jesus to bring you peace during this very strange season that doesn't seem so peaceful. So God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. I hope that you join us on Christmas Eve, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time uh, in Oregon. Or if you're joining us in Oklahoma, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you are joining us online, we'll be streaming the service live at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless.